And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer. I am the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And you know what? We're going to talk social media maybe a little bit today, but probably not very much because I have an absolutely fabulous guest on today. We're going to be talking about strategy and planning for a business. And this is going to be so cool. And I cannot wait to talk with my guest today. So please welcome Christine McNulty. Thank you very much, Deb. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Great. Well, let me tell folks just a little bit about you. So Chris McNulty has 40 years of experience as a consultant in long-term strategic planning for concepts as well as organizations, futures, foresight, technology, forecasting, technology assessment, and related areas, as well as sociocultural change. Early in her career, Chris began to use workshops to gain leadership commitment to their strategic plans. For the last 20 years, most of her consulting work has been conducted for the Department of Defense. She has provided consulting services for various Fortune Global 500 companies in the United States, the UK, and Western and Eastern Europe for client applications, including marketing, advertising, personnel and human resources, education, and training. Chris has also contributed methods and models for understanding social and cultural change, and at the request of several of her clients, she is now offering coaching in change and transformation, as well as strategic consultation. She was elected a Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, Manufactures, and Commerce in 1988. She is the co-author of two books, Industrial Applications of Technology Forecasting, and strategic with uh, I'm sorry, strategy with passion, a leader's guide to exploiting the future. Chris has written many monographs and papers and is a frequent speaker at conferences. So again, please join me in welcoming Chris McNulty. Thank you very much, Deb. <clears throat> Great. Well, you know, let's let's just really yeah. jump into this because you talk about how to that, that you need to strategically plan. And I think so many businesses might initially develop, oh, maybe a marketing plan or a, a kind of a, a plan, <laughs> and then they get really busy and they don't come back to it. Or if they do, you know, they spend a half an hour and they update the numbers in it or things like that. And you have a passion, hence the reason <laughs> for the book title, Strategy with Passion, to really think about this strategically. So tell us more about that. Yes, Um it's really interesting because everybody starts out with, with some kind of a passion about their business, at least gen mm -hmm. generally speaking. Right, uh, or they wouldn't do it. Or they wouldn't do it, that's right. And so they have this vision of what their product or their service or their products and services might actually be. Mm -hmm. um, but as you say, they get very busy. They focus on today and what's happening today, and they forget about the future. The problem mm -hmm. with that is that the environment in which they're operating is changing all the time. And in fact, today, we are getting increasingly rapid change you know, from mm -hmm. all kinds of different directions, whether it's technology or the economy or the political scene or what's happening in society. And so people need to be aware of that because they could lose their business overnight if they don't plan appropriately. Right. Or they could be missing out on all kinds of different opportunities. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about it is that, you know, most people, once they think about their business area or their, you know, whether that's products or services, they think, you know, of course, this is going to go on forever. And we can't envision things that might come along and be competitive or people who might come along and be competitive. Uh, and so their whole view of the future is extrapolation from the past. And the problem with that is that people can get blindsided so easily if they don't think further ahead. Now, what do, right. what do I mean by all of this? I mean, for instance, um, we could say, and, and this is an example I might 
give in a little more detail later. But we did we did a huge project on the home of the future. And many people, when they think about the home of the future, even though it's the word home, they think mm -hmm. about the house of the future. Right. And so they think about the, the design of the house. They think about the materials from which it's made, the construction techniques, the infrastructure. So all the services, the utilities and so on. And they think mm -hmm. about oh, appliances and, and those kinds of things. But, mm -hmm. it, but it's all about the actual gadgets, whatever they are, the thing, right. the technologies. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they assume that if we think about the future, then we should think about all of those items separately. And mm -hmm. in fact, there was a, an American smart house project that was started mm. in the mid 80s, would you believe? Oh. And uh, it was it was started by the American Home Builders Association. And mm -hmm. I was still living in England at the time. And by, by the way, I am an American, despite my accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was living in England and the American Home Builders Association and a whole bunch of other people came over and gave the most incredible conference and exhibition and so on. And I was actually at that exhibition with a number of my clients. And we listened to all of this amazing technology. I mean, bear in mind, this was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about being able to use your phone to call your home and tell it to do things like turn on the air conditioner or turn it off. Wow. Or turn. And, and that was just totally foreign back then. You know, people would, would have never thought you could do that. No, that's right. But this was what they were talking about. But you can imagine 30 years ago, especially in Europe, Mm -hmm. This was really weird and way out. And mm -hmm. at the end of the uh, the conference, I was in the bar with a number of my colleagues, clients. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, you know, this is all very interesting, but who the heck would want to live in a home like this? Right. And so, I mean, none, none of us could imagine it. Mm -hmm. So they turned to me and they said, hey, Chris, if you were designing a project to think about the home of the future, would you have done it like this? To which I said, absolutely not. No. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the things, and it's, it's a point that I want to make here. We always take a demand-led perspective. Okay. Most people in business want to take a business-driven perspective or a technology-driven perspective. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is that you get those situations like the one I just mentioned where somebody said, well, this, this technology is phenomenal, but who the heck would want to live in a place that had it. Right, and we're not going to plan for it. Right, right. So they said, why don't we, yeah, so I said, well, why don't we think about a demand-led approach to, to the home? Mm -hmm. You know, why do people actually need a home except to keep, right. keep the weather off? Mm -hmm. And so um, we actually thought about the, the home in terms of what people do in their homes. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, we, we, we were able to divide them up into three big categories. We had mm -hmm. leisure, because mm -hmm. people do a lot of leisure activities in their homes, or right. they prepare in their homes for leisure activities mm -hmm. elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Then there's work, and that could be working from home, working, doing whatever you do for work from home. Right. And then also maintenance, and the maintenance includes the maintenance of the home, the garden, mm -hmm. and the people. So then we looked at activities. So, for instance, uh, we said, okay, eating, where does that fit? Well, mm -hmm. eating breakfast is maintenance. Right. But eating at a weekend with having friends by and having a nice dinner, that's leisure. And mm -hmm. so we were able to sort of think about those kinds of things. Now, using our social model that, that you mentioned when you, you read out my bio, um, mm -hmm. we were able to look at three big groupings in the population. Mm -hmm. And we called those three big groupings sustenance-driven people. And mm. that, they were down at the bottom end of Maslow's hierarchy, if you remember Maslow. from Right, right. Days. They just need food and, and shelter. Right, right. Well, perhaps a little bit more than that. They want to mm -hmm. belong and, and so on as well. But then there are people that we called outer-directed, and they spanned the esteem needs. They were looking for mm -hmm. the esteem of others and developing self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And then there were people we called inner-directed who were pushing towards self-actualization. Okay. And so we developed three scenarios. And if people are not so familiar with what scenarios are, basically they're pictures of the future. Okay. And you, you tell stories around those pictures of the future. Mm -hmm. So we had 
these three big scenarios, sustenance-driven, outer-directed, inner-directed, and then we were looking at the home through these lenses of leisure, work, and maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, we, we brainstormed many, many, many ideas from a demand-led perspective, saying things like, well, if the inner directives um, are looking for a new home in an urban area, or if they're looking for, for an apartment, or if they're looking for a home in a rural area, and they have these kinds of activities that they want to perform there, leisure, work, and maintenance, what would their home need to look like? Mm-hmm. We had 16 companies involved, everything from construction to electronics to utilities, bathroom fixtures, and so on. And we brainstormed what a home would need to look like to accommodate all these things. And we did that for each of three scenarios. So if you can imagine three overlapping circles, one for each scenario, we actually came up with a total of more than 7,000 new ideas for products and services and materials and technologies. Wow. And right in the middle of the overlap between these three circles, we Mm -hmm. had 2,000 ideas, which meant that those were really very robust because they were appropriate for all the scenarios. Right. And of those 2,700 cut across industry sectors, so they would never have been thought of by a single company or a single sector. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the opportunities for thinking about the future that these ideas generated. Right. I mean, for, for each of the 16 companies that were involved, mm-hmm. I mean, they were able to take away hundreds of ideas for new business. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of them were really quite different from their normal approach. So mm-hmm. if we'd stuck to a conventional view of a house, and we'd thought from a technology push point of view, we, we wouldn't have got anything like that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? so, so I'm always looking for new opportunities for business. Mm-hmm. Well, and in your example, you know, I would imagine like cell phones would have been one where, you know, back in the 80s, people thought a phone was to make <laughs> phone calls. Hello. Absolutely. But with, with your forecasting, you were thinking, okay, it can turn the lights on and off. It can turn your security system on and off. It can control the temperature in your house. So, you know, then those companies think, oh, my gosh, we need to start developing those applications or we're going to get run over by somebody else who does. That's right. But, however, there's there's another slight problem here because if if people know about the Internet of Things, which, of course, Mm -hmm. has become very popular over the last three or four years, the Internet of Things is doing, or the people who are involved in it, are doing exactly the same thing as the American Home Builders Association. In fact, right. I, I actually wrote an article called, Is it Deja Vu All Over Again? To quote mm-hmm. Yogi Berra. Because right. they're taking a technology push approach without saying, what do people really want? Right. And when you actually think about all the potential security problems, privacy problems, and the potential for something going bad, mm-hmm. um, then the Internet of Things, the way it's being thought about at the moment, is, is as bad as the American Home Builders Association thinking about the house of the future. Right. So, you know, we, we, need, to keep, we need to keep moving. The, the mm-hmm. technology is enabling us to do all kinds of things. But right. will people want it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's, of course, the trick is, will people want it? And, you know, and, and there have been companies, obviously, who have created a product or a service. And then, you know, it was just something magic that caught on and people really wanted it. A, a cell phone would probably be a great example. Right. But, you know, so many companies, that's a really scary concept to be thinking about, you know, right now we're building widgets. Mm-hmm. But people might not want widgets 5, 10, 20 years from now. So, you know, what the heck are we going to do? And so many companies are just like, build widget, build widget, build widget. They don't want to think about that. So how do you work with companies? And, and I, you know, it doesn't matter if it's one person or 10 or, you know, 100,000 people. How do you get them to really see that they can't just be thinking build widget, build widget. They must be thinking, what are we going to be doing 10, 20 years from now? That's absolutely right. I mean, even, well, even small businesses, you know, maybe maybe five years. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, certainly if you're getting into a medium-sized, particularly high-tech 
business right or anything mm-hmm. larger yes you have to think 10 15 20 years at least mm-hmm. so um yeah sometimes people just don't want to i mean i have to say right. we 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 don't work for people who don't want to think futuristically <laughs> right right you know there's there's no point in just beating your head against the no, wall no. but you know so so obviously they've come to you and they've said you know, okay, we need to think 10, 20 years in the future. That's right. You know, how do you sit down with, a, a, now, obviously, the key is it has to be the business leader. Absolutely. It can't be the marketing department. It can't be the sales department. I mean, they all have to buy in. But if the leadership at the top hasn't bought in, there's no point in doing any of this. That's absolutely um, right. Yeah. And so, you know, when you sit down with that right person, what are the, the steps that you go through with them? Okay. Well, in fact, we actually, as, as you, again, you mentioned, we tend to use workshops because the leader can have the most wonderful vision, but if nobody else in the organization buys into it, it's not going right. to happen. Yes, it is. It is definitely a team. It is. It is. Yeah, we, we always recommend that it should be, in fact, not only the top leadership team, but if the company has divisions, say, it should be the top leadership team plus the leadership of all the divisions mm-hmm. because the thing about it is that the people in the divisions know the details of their piece of the business they tend not to have the the big overarching vision and so it's necessary right. to to really have a big overarching vision i mean however big your your business is and mm-hmm. then what you need to do is to look at it through different i'd call them lenses mm-hmm. so first of all you need to think about the external environment okay and there are many ways of doing that i mean one of the famous ones is called swot analysis right strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats mm-hmm. and focusing on the outside you need to think about i mean what is going on in the consumer world whether you're you're a b2c or a b2b business i mean what's going on in your um your amongst your customers whoever they are Mm-hmm. Uh, what could be changing their needs and their directions. So when you think about your business, you not only need to think about um, your your immediate clients, mm-hmm. but what can be affecting them as well. Right. Um, and then, so so then you do your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, looking at, at people, the, your mm-hmm. outside customers. You also need to look at what's happened to the economy, mm-hmm. particularly in the, the short term as well as the long term. Right. And most people are okay with that. But then mm-hmm. you need to start thinking about technology and what kinds of technologies might come in. I mean, right. you've alluded to cell phones. I mean, we, we had no clue about the Internet 30 mm-hmm. years ago when we did the Home of the Future project. And so um, we need to start thinking about those things too. Right. And then politics. I mean, what's going to happen in terms of regulation, mm-hmm. um, taxation, you know, all those good things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you need to be aware of those. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny because as you were mentioning this, I immediately thought of an example of a physical bookstore, oh. Barnes and Noble, Borders, things like that. You know, 10 years yeah. ago, they never stopped to think about that little thing called the Internet right. and Amazon, you know, because and, and now I am one of those. I still like to go into the bookstore <laughs> and touch the books. You know, I, I'm I one of those too. people. I but. Most people, you know, they want the convenience. I bought your book on Amazon. Uh Um, You know, could I have gone to a local bookstore? Well, you know, the closest one is 30 minutes away. And did they carry your book? Maybe, maybe not. But with, you know, like three clicks on the computer, I could buy your book and it would be here tomorrow. Or better yet, I could order the Kindle version and I have it immediately. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's where so many companies, they didn't think about... Um, the fact that people wanted convenience, they didn't certainly didn't think about the technology that it would even be possible. No. And, you know, heavens, now we have drones that are delivering these things, you know, and, and so, you know, all of those things. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, we have a borders that is five minutes from the house that closed down many years ago, because, you know, it, it did not that company did not have the foresight to be looking ahead to think, how are people going to buy books in the future? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I, I'll have to say, generally speaking, the bookstores that I go to are the used bookstores. Oh, yes. Because they, they have stuff that you can't get on, on Amazon all the right. time. But, mm-hmm. but yes, I mean, for all my business books and those kinds of things, 
Amazon mm -hmm. is the go-to place. And right. when you think about how Amazon has expanded its business, I mean, from that, I mean, into mm -hmm. just, they sell anything. Everything. Absolutely right. everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you hadn't thought about those kinds of things, you could easily have lost out. So the thing then is, if you still want to maintain your business in the face of whatever else is going on in the environment, you know, what do you need to do? Well, one of the thing, big things, obviously, is to add value in some respect. Right. So, I mean, around here in the D.C. area, we have a number of really nice bookstores that sell a mix of old and new. And mm -hmm. they have coffee shops and they allow you to take the books to your table, even if you're drinking coffee, you know, and, and, and. Right. But it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the way to go. And then they have mm -hmm. events and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think people really need to start thinking about what can we do to mm -hmm. extend our business out and, and add value. Right. Uh, and, and really increase that. I mean, that's why Amazon has started offering, you know, home delivery of uh, uh, groceries. Yeah. You know, things <laughs> like that is, is they are, you know, they're probably one of the best examples of a company that is very forward thinking. And now, but but I have to tell you, it's kind of like when I watch a, a good ad on TV. Mm. I'm just baffled. I'm like, how did they even think about that? So that's that's my problem, and I'm I'm guessing that's probably a lot of business owners' problems. How in the heck do they get from point A to point B when when point B doesn't even exist? Right. You know, how do you how do you even go through that process? You need to have creative, imaginative people on your team. Okay. And one of the things we do, and, and I'm, I'm so glad you, you did that very nicely. You brought us back round to yes, <laughs> leadership, I right? Mm -hmm. um, when, when we work with our clients, however big they are, we always say, uh, you know, as I said, bring in the leadership team, leadership divisions, and so on. And in addition, we also say, please bring in some real young mavericks okay. and some of your stakeholders. So in, in the case of the home of the future, we actually brought in just regular folks. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, I, I hate to use the word now, but back then we called them housewives, especially. Right. Be right. Because most of the people on our team were men. Right. You mm -hmm. know, so 30 years ago, they definitely were. And the yeah. wife was the person taking care of the home. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, we brought in just regular people to to have them as part of the brainstorming. But then we use a whole bunch of creative techniques and I'll I'll describe a couple because okay. they're, they're actually fun. I mean, aside from being useful, they're fun. So mm -hmm. one of them is called a metaphor. Now we didn't design it and it's actually not a metaphor, it's a simile, but never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what we do is um, we would say, we want, we, this is brainstorming. Okay. I would like you to finish this sentence that I'm about to say, tell you. Mm -hmm. And I want whatever pops into your head. Don't think about it, but just okay. tell me whatever pops into your head. So we then say the future of this business, or we could say the future of this business area. And it, it depends on exactly what we're doing with the client. But the future of this business is like. And. Oh. Then we want people to just say whatever pops into their head. And it could, mm -hmm. it could be anything. I mean, it could be the name of a movie, a song, a TV program. It could be a color, a plant, mm -hmm. an animal. But anything that just pops into their head. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a couple of examples from, <laughs> from a military client because you'll be really surprised at these. So the future of this military organization is like... A bougainvillea. Hmm. You know, the plant. Yeah. Right, the flower. The flower. Uh -huh. Right. And then another one was um, a pregnant salmon. <laughs> uh, another one was um, a door closing quietly. Ah. I get, people come up with some really interesting images. Oh, right. and we also had Pink Floyd and I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Well, so then what we do is we take the three most way out ones. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we took Bougainvillea as one of them. Mm -hmm. And then for each of the way out ones, we say, um, what are the characteristics of this item? So what are the characteristics right. of a Bougainvillea? Mm -hmm. If you give it a lot of water, 
it grows very bushy and leafy, but it mm -hmm. does not produce flowers. Mm -hmm. It's only when it's in drought conditions that it produces flowers. Mm -hmm. um, with the, um, the pregnant salmon, for instance, um, a pregnant salmon goes back upstream right. to lay its eggs where... Right. You know, but it goes against all odds. That's right. That's right. And at the same time, it's the eggs start to feed on the salmon's flesh. Mm. So then we say, okay, so what are the characteristics of that? So it's that it needs to go back to its roots mm -hmm. by going upstream. Mm -hmm. um, it needs to be willing to be consumed by whatever the new life is. Mm -hmm. And it, it should not try to hold on to it because right. otherwise it won't benefit the future generations. Right. You know, Eventually it has to release it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so then having done this with three, three of these, we then say, okay, what's this telling us about this organization? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what insights come out of that particular creative technique. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for instance, the bougainvillea, it was, well, yeah, it's absolutely true. We actually do a lot better when we're short of funds. Um, you know, mm -hmm. when we can't afford all the material and equipment that we need, right. we're much more innovative. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we actually have one organization that said, hey, rather than moaning and whining about budget cuts and all the rest of them, let's look forward to them. Mm -hmm. because we can become more creative and innovative. Right. It's going to force us to do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these kinds of techniques. Well, then the next one that we frequently use right after that one is it would be ideal for the future of this organization or the future of this business if, and then we brainstorm around those. Okay. And by doing that, people are not looking at the business in terms of where it is now. Mm -hmm. They are actually focused on it would be ideal for this if. And mm -hmm. we tell them to be just as futuristic as they can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And of course, since we've got young mavericks in there, um, who will be the next generation of right. business people, um, they really are quite willing to, um, to get out of the box. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we sort of start to pull these ideas in and say, well, okay, you know, we've come up with all these amazing things here. Now, what do we need to do today to encourage the growth and development of these? Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is that since you've got all the leadership involved, they're actually willing to say, yeah, this sounds like a really good idea. Or mm -hmm. maybe we should be heading in this direction rather than that direction. And so we find that this, I mean, it takes a little while. I mean, generally speaking, it takes two to three days of this brainstorming. Right. Mm-hmm. And frequently, a lot of people, especially engineers and finance people, say, you know, when are we going to get on to the real work of this? Right. We need numbers. Yeah, exactly. And we say, hang on, you know, that, that comes next. Mm -hmm. But what we really want you to do is to give your wholehearted attention to thinking futuristically. Mm -hmm. and, and then we sort of say, OK, now, what have you got today that could take you down this direction? Um, because a lot of people... Um, say, oh, well, you know, that's all, all very well for large organizations that have mm -hmm. got large staffs and plenty of money and so on and so on. And we say, no, take a look at what you've got today that's, right. that's already beginning to move you in that direction. Mm -hmm. you know, and how can we build on that? And so what we try to do is to bridge between where they are and where they feel comfortable with mm -hmm. the future where they feel pretty uncomfortable, at least at first. Um, one of the things that we, we get them to do, by the way, is mm -hmm. um, we, we, right from the very start, we build what we call a war room. And the idea of this is that we capture every little thing that they come up with mm -hmm. as we go through this process. And then we lay it out. We actually stick it up on a wall. I mean, and, and we recommend that the organization keep at least the main pieces of this war room for the forever, mm -hmm. forever almost. Oh, okay. So they can look back at exactly. Them. And the thing about it is that if you build up this war room as you go, they can see how they came to make certain decisions. Right. And once they can see that, 
then something new comes up and they can say, hey, you know, this, this technique's been developed by somebody else. What's it mean for us? And they can mm -hmm. go back to the war room and say, you know, what part of our process would this affect? And how could we either incorporate it or how could we compete with it? Right. But if they've got a war room there, it's, it's easy for them to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, what if they come up with suggestions, ideas, you know, whatever we want to call them that may not be popular, like get rid of the current leadership or <laughs> our product sucks or, you know, things. <laughs> obviously it needs to be a safe yeah, area, absolutely. you know, in a safe time when people can say that. But what if they come up with things like that? Well, we, we have had that. Um, we have some ground rules. And one of the ground rules is that you can criticize a person's behavior or what he says, but not the person himself, herself. Okay. Uh, but right at the beginning, if if we have any idea that there are going to be personality problems, mm -hmm. then one of the things that we do is a, to have a session that we call unmentionables. And we give everybody three by five cards. And we mm. say, please write down you know, on these three by five cards, three or four things, which if you voiced them, out in the open would get you fired. Right. So they can do it anonymously. So they can do it anonymously. Now, what actually happens is, just to be on the safe side, we collect all those three by five cards in a <laughs> in a bag. Mm -hmm. And then we type them up immediately. Ah, so nobody's so, recognizing handwriting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, I mean, it actually is part of the fun. Okay. So then, then having typed them up, we cut them up ah, so that we have one issue per piece of paper. Okay. And then we cluster them. Mm -hmm. And we, well, at least we get them to cluster them. They do all the work under our guidance. Right. So mm -hmm. we then get them to cluster them. And the way we cluster them is under headings that say, we have control over this. We can do something about it. Right. So maybe so, that is key leadership so, or something. Right. You know, and, and, yeah, if, it, if it's that we, we think that leadership is not leading us adequately or we think it's going off on the wrong track. Um, then we have a section which is we have some control but not total control over this. Mm -hmm. And then we think about, well, what aspects can we control and so on. And then the final one is things over which we have no control. And then we just have to decide, is there a higher authority um, so, I mean, if we're working with a large organization, like a part of the Navy, for instance, right. we could then send that up to the chief of naval operations, you know, mm -hmm. the, the ultimate Navy guy. Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. If we're working in a smaller organization, we might have to say, look, these are things that concern us. Um, we have no clue, actually, how to deal with them at the moment or what to do about them, but we will make a note of them. Mm -hmm. And if anybody has a brilliant idea later on, or if things on in the external world would help us resolve these, then we can take account of them later. But we, we have to just accept that we can't do anything with this lot. Okay. And so, but, but what we find is that by doing that, I mean, we actually had one guy who said, well, you call these unmentionables before we started this section of the, the, the workshop. But mm -hmm. he said, I want everybody to know that from now on, these are not unmentionables. These are mentionables, and I want you mm. to mention them. Uh huh. And I mean, boy, that changed the atmosphere in the room. Mm -hmm. Because when they realized that he was honest, when he, he was genuine, mm -hmm. about wanting to know things that people thought he was either not doing correctly or could be done better or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. He, and he, I mean, he said, my door really is open from now on. Mm -hmm. um, and that changed the whole atmosphere. It was, it was really amazing. Hmm. So the thing about it is that when we have these workshops, you know, everybody is, is kind of elbow to elbow. And mm -hmm. we, we also use a lot of, uh, we call, well, visual aids mm -hmm. where we have scales and we get them to stick sticky dots on scales to see how well they're doing and so on. And that, mm -hmm. that requires them to actually literally jostle each other's elbows in order to get the sticky dots stuck on the, ah, mm -hmm. the paper. 
and uh, and it's amazing how much that adds to building a team. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned the, the gentleman who who said, you know, hey, you know, everything is is open for discussion. Yeah. He was clearly a good leader. Yes. What makes that good leader? Because we've all probably been a part of an organization, and I don't care, you know, what size it is or where it was, where the key leadership, whether it was, you know, the actual CEO, CFO, you know, department manager, where they were not good leaders. Yes. What makes a good leader? Oh, I devote a whole chapter to that in the book. Of course, of course, but, which is in Strategy with Passion. So uh, read the book. Okay. Right. No, actually, there, there are several things. The first is that the guy has to be competent. Mm-hmm. Or gal. I, I beg your pardon, yes. I, I, <laughs> I started it, though, by saying, by saying guy. So. Well, I have to confess, most of, most of our clients have always been males. Well, you, you did mention that you work with the military. That's so true. okay, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so... The, the person really needs to be competent. And one of the problems in many organizations nowadays is that it's, frequently they put people like lawyers and accountants in charge of CEOs. And right. they may be really good at legal affairs and money, mm-hmm. but they may not understand anything about the actual products or services. Right. And so that's, that's a problem to begin with. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, they do need to be people, people. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And now one of the things is people talk about we need to have loyalty, you know, company loyalty. And generally speaking, that's a leader, a poor leader, who says mm-hmm. everybody's got to be loyal to me. In fact, the greatest loyalty is down the chain. Ah. Where mm-hmm. in fact the leader needs to be loyal to all the employees mm-hmm. because if if the leader is not loyal um, I mean one of the one of the ways you can recognize this is that the leader will always take responsibility mm-hmm. even if it's somebody right down in the lowest levels of the organization that's done something wrong bad whatever mm-hmm. made, made mistakes I mean generally it's mistakes it's not deliberate right but the leader has to take responsibility I mean, right. he, whoever it is can't blame the person that made the mistake mm-hmm. because maybe they weren't trained appropriately. I mean, maybe they, they need to be reprimanded in some way. But, right. but this is the other thing. A good leader will repri- reprimand in private. Yes. Never. And and teach at the same and time. And teach. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's that's another element. One of the key elements is that the leader needs to know himself, herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people don't. Uh, I mean, we, because I come from a military background, at least recently, we, we're always quoting Sun Tzu, who says, mm-hmm. "Right, no, you know, know your enemy and know yourself. And if mm-hmm. you do, you'll win a hundred battles." And most people seem to think that what that means is know your enemy. So you need to know who they are, what they're capable of what their weapon systems are, you know, how many aircraft and aircraft mm-hmm. carriers they've got, and, and, and. And then know yourself is know the same things about yourself. Right. Have you got enough machines, yeah. equipment, and blah, blah. That's not what it meant at all. Mm-hmm. It meant know yourself from a psychological point of view. Yes. So that you really know who you are. You know what turns you on. You know what hot buttons you've got. And so, in fact, um, I've actually put together a list of, of ones that I find are quite critical. I mean, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Mm-hmm. You need to know that because do you always, is your first response to anything new, oh, no, that'll never work. Right. Or is your first response, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. Because that will frame not only your approach to thinking about whatever it is, but because people will have seen you do it before, they will know how to frame things so that they will get more of a response that they would like. Right, you know? right. You know, it, it, they they will know that they'll get um, your support or your accolades if you give the same response. So if they're the person that is always, you know, oh, you know, this is never going to work, then your sales team is going to be the, well, this is never going to work type of people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then things like, I mean, am I an observer, a reader, or a listener? 
Mm. How do I want information presented to me? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have to say, um, I'm an observer in that I'm visual. I'm very okay. visual. I'm really not auditory. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, right, right this minute on this call, I've got my eyes closed. Ah, so you're envisioning it. So I'm envisioning it. Yes, because I find the other thing is that if it's purely auditory, I can get distracted by visuals. Okay. So, you know, I can be looking around in my, the room that I'm in and looking outside and seeing what's happening and I can get distracted. So in order to be auditory, I have to close my eyes. Okay. Then there are people who really want to read mm-hmm. and, and they want their information presented in a, you know, so they can read it. I, I'm a bit like that too. Mm-hmm. So you need, to, the more you understand about these kinds of things, then the more you can actually tell people what you need. I mean, mm-hmm. again, in, in the armed forces, there will very often be a, um, a commander's intent or a commander's philosophy. And the, mm-hmm. In the commander's philosophy, the commander is expected to write down all the things that he thinks will, he or she thinks will be useful to, to their subordinates. And I mean, these can even be things like, um, what are the things that really irritate me? Because mm-hmm. the more you know about those, <laughs> hopefully you won't do it. I mean, right. I have to say, for me, punctuality is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. I really don't like people who are late or who miss deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and my in my company, people got to know that. Right. Um, and so they were always punctual. Um, because I, I see that as a lack of respect. In fact, mm-hmm. it was interesting. We had a, a client once upon a time who said, one of my key company values is respect for others. And it turned out he was always late. Ah, he, so he did not have respect for others. Well, he didn't realize that being late was disrespectful. Right. Until we pointed it out. <laughs> and then he went, oh, mm, yeah. ah, oops. Yes. <laughs> So, so you know, again, you need to think about um, how how am I? What is it that really engages me, and what disengages me, and what can I do about it, and what can my people do about it to minimize the mm-hmm. um, the disengagement? So, so really thinking about who you are from a, a psychological point of view is is a very useful device. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love is that when you're bringing in these kind of external uh, external is not really the right word but that's how you get the passion you know because you're no longer dealing with just the numbers you're dealing with all of these other concepts that are so very important to the business absolutely absolutely and I mean along with yeah I I call it head and heart you know a sort of strategy strategy with passion and Mm -hmm. the thing is that everybody can be passionate about something I mean there's nobody that's I, I, I doubt there's anybody that's not passionate about mm-hmm. something. But the notion also about the head and heart. Mm-hmm. And the heart is not just that you are good with people and, and good with re- relationships, but mm-hmm. that you are intuitive and that you listen to something besides your intellect. Mm-hmm. And this is a real key attribute. I mean, right. Harvard has done studies that, that suggest that decision makers when they're making hiring decisions, they will make the decision about whom to hire within 30 seconds of meeting. The person. Right. And then mm-hmm. they spend the rest of the two hour interview mm-hmm. rationalizing it, justifying right. it. Right. You know, did they shake hands in a professional way? Did they look professional? Yeah. I mean, you know, all of those things that people think really don't matter. Hello, folks. <laughs> First impressions are, are key. Absolutely. And and we do that also with when we're going to, to decide to work with somebody or buy from them. Absolutely. You know, it's like, how did they present themselves in those first 30 seconds? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and even making non-personnel decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, very often your gut will tell you. Well, I, I use either gut or heart. But, right. but your intuition will tell you whether you should be doing this or not. Mm-hmm. And then very often we let our intellect override it. And right. in all the cases that I've seen where the intellect overrode a major decision, uh, it turned out to be incorrect. Right, right. So, and, and, you know, I think that's where businesses stumble is they think they shouldn't pay attention to that inner voice. Right. Um, you know, and, and so maybe they're choosing between, you know, person A and person B to promote. 
And they're thinking, <coughs> excuse me, well, person A has the training. They've got the background. They've got the this. They've got the that. You know, and, and person B has the charisma to do it. But charisma is so intangible, you have to go with the guy who has the education. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's where they, they screwed up. Yeah. Oh, it's, it is absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I was doing some, some work for, for NATO and I was going around a number of countries. And we had quite a lot of people from both the Middle East and Asia present. Mm-hmm. And just out of curiosity, because I, I'm passionate about this kind of stuff, I uh-huh. said to them, uh, when you make your decisions, you know, do you just make them on the basis of your intellect and your, your thinking processes? Mm-hmm. Or do you bring in your heart and your intuition? Mm-hmm. And everybody except the Westerners said, we wouldn't dream of making a decision without bringing in our heart and intuition. Right. But it was really interesting because the Americans and the Europeans said, oh, no, 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 we're rational. We're, we have to look at facts. Logical. Facts yeah, only. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. So it is interesting that most of the rest of the world <laughs> brings in this, right. this other capability, as I like mm-hmm. to call it. Yeah. Well, and, and it is interesting in that's how we make our business decisions because we do think, well, we can't think with our heart. You know, we, we can't, you know, there's so many decisions that, that we're going to override because it's fluffy or or it is intangible. And, you know, it's like, well, you know what, maybe, maybe you really need to rethink that because that, that inner voice was saying, excuse me, (laughs) hello, you know, so pay attention to it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's important. And as I said, in the West, we just don't pay enough attention Mm-hmm. To, to that kind of thing. Right. Well, now what intrigues me about this is is this process works for big companies, but we've got a lot of listeners who are small, maybe even one-person businesses. Mm-hmm. How can they do this when all they're concerned about is, oh, my God, I have to pay the bills? Right. You know, and, and so how do they really think about planning their business strategy and having a passion while they're doing it? Because they don't have a team to bounce ideas off of. You know, they, they, it's just them in their spare bedroom. Right. You know, what the heck are they doing? <laughs> well, it's, it is interesting because um, I, a few weeks ago, I, I actually gave a, um, a friend of mine um, some coaching. And mm-hmm. it, took, it took, oh, two to three hours altogether. Mm-hmm. And it really got her thinking completely differently about the business. Okay. Um, so, I mean, first of all, uh, people can, even if they can't take the time while they're at work, Monday through Friday or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they can think about it while driving to work. Right. They can think about it at weekends, occasionally, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, and they can also use friends and colleagues, not, not from their own business. They, I mean, clients and stakeholders Right. are a good source of ideas. And mm-hmm. so you could easily say, hey, um, why don't you come over for coffee late on Friday afternoon or a beer or something mm-hmm. like that? Because I'd really like to bounce some ideas off you and provide them with, with whatever it is, coffee, beer, wine, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and cookies. And, right. and say, hey, you know, I really want to discuss this, the future of my business with you. Mm-hmm. I want to get your feedback on some of my ideas. And it needn't take a long time. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if it is a small business and there's only basically you and maybe nobody else, um, mm-hmm. you can still get people to help. Right. Well, and that's where it's so important to really be thinking about the future. I mean, you know, that's where we see small businesses fail is they don't think about, right. you know, is technology going to change? Is is the product going to change? Um, you know, the the people who provided a service for years that now somebody can do themselves. Right. You know, all of those various things, you know, and, and so if you didn't think ahead, you're out of business. And if you really are the person who is paying all the bills because it's just you, well, <laughs> you're truly out of business. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really critical. We went through a phase not too long ago when people said, oh, there's no point in strategic planning because we can't predict the future, so why the heck should we? Um, And I had to say, come on, guys, because we can't predict the future, that's exactly why you need to think strategically. 
Right. Um, you need to think about options. I mean, mm -hmm. the future is wide open out there and there are things out there that could harm you. There are things out there that could provide you with all kinds of opportunities. But mm -hmm. if you don't think about it, then then you're doing yourself a, a disservice because right. you can easily be caught out or you can miss opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I don't I'm not a big fan of um, subscribing to things, especially if they're <laughs> if they're expensive. Um, right. But there are some really fascinating, um, what what, I, what can I call them? Either blogs or services. Um, oh, okay. There's there's a guy called Peter Diamandis, mm. and he has uh, a blog that he calls Abundance Insider, mm. and he he publishes this blog, and it contains the most amazing stuff about technology, and it wow. it really is. I would recommend it to anybody, and it's a quick mm -hmm. read. And and the stuff that he talks about is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I read it regularly, and it's not so much to get the specific ideas, but but you get triggered. I mean, when you start to read right. futuristic things, you you know all of a sudden you think, wow, you know, we could do something like that with yes. that. How or, can how can I do that? Yeah, yeah. So so I'm all for that. There's there's another one actually that's put, that comes out of England called. Um, Oh, now I can't remember what it is. Oh, of course. Uh, shape, shaping Tomorrow. Okay. Oh, shaping Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a free thing. You just sign mm -hmm. up for it. And he covers more than just technology. He covers economics and politics and so on. It's a bit, mm -hmm. bit of a longer read, and it's not so much fun as Peter Diamandis is. But, but nonetheless, it provides some very useful information. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to come back to something that is, mm. is key to all of this, and that is the word passion. Because, you know, when you founded your business, whether it's the one-person shop or the yeah. 10,000, hopefully you had a passion for it. Right. You know, and, and, and it does get kind of lost in the drudgery of doing everything every day. So why is it so important that we have that passion? couple of reasons. I mean, one is that unless you have that passion, you'll do the same thing every day that you've been doing right. for the last however long. Mm -hmm. um, and you won't be thinking futuristically. But the mm -hmm. other thing is that passion is energy. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have passion for your business, then you don't have energy for mm -hmm. your business. And if you don't have energy, then again, you know, it's just going to kind of wind down like a clockwork thing um, and and you won't be able to revitalize it. So, I mean, even tiny businesses, I, my business is small, but mm -hmm. I mean, even tiny businesses need to have energy put into them every once in a while. Right. And I mean, I have a number of colleagues and I get together with them. I mean, they, they too run small businesses, mm -hmm. but we, we get together. And brainstorm about stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I just spent several weeks brainstorming about the future of healthcare with a mm -hmm. colleague. I mean, healthcare is not really an area of interest to me, except of course I am concerned about my, right my having health. it yourself. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. So, um, but it's but you know we just get together over coffee and that kind of thing, or over mm -hmm. a, a glass of wine, and and we spend a couple of hours brainstorming. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing right. how. I mean, I, it was really interesting, the, this discussion about healthcare. I mean, it, we got so revved up about it. Um, I mean, the, my, my, my friend and colleague who is actually in the healthcare business, it was passionate anyway. But by the time we'd had a two-hour meeting, I mean, we were both sort of bouncing off the wall with enthusiasm mm -hmm. about what she might be able to do. Right. Well, and and I love in your book you mentioned the fact that you were working with a company that, you know, they they were having trouble with finding the passion, and you made them go back and think about when the company was founded, right? You know, and and what that original founder, you know, the bust in the hallway, right? What his passion was, and then they they caught that again. They did. They did. I mean, it was it was really interesting because they were defining themselves by mm -hmm. their competition. And what it meant basically was that they they had a whole bunch of lines of business and 
in each of the businesses, they define themselves by their competitors in those lines and reduce mm -hmm. their prices so that they were becoming a, a cheap, um, right. both manufacturer and retailer. And I could sort of, I, I, I kept thinking there must be more to it than this. And I, I drew a diagram. It was a, a diagram in which I, I, I drew a lot. It was a, what am I talking about? It was a shape. It was a hexagon, mm -hmm. actually, because they had six okay. lines of business. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, in this line of business, you're defining yourself against the competitor. And I drew a, a line outward from the middle of this hexagon. And mm -hmm. I said, in this line, you know, and I, I, so they had a hexagon with six lines going out from the middle. Mm -hmm. And then I said, what's in the middle? And they, and they all went, ah, oh. they couldn't tell me. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was when, I mean, I was thinking, I was beginning to think, oh gosh, what do I do now? Yes, oh dear. <laughs> and, uh, and as I said, yes, uh, we went down to, to have lunch and mm -hmm. passed this bust in the hallway on the way to the dining room. And I thought, oh, that's it, that's it. Mm -hmm. I'll ask mm -hmm. them about this founder and what his vision was and so on. Right. Even though this was now about 120 years on. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I began to ask about the founder and what his vision had been, they got so animated. And so I said, all right, there's nothing that you've said here that couldn't be applied today. Right. You know, it would be different from his, mm -hmm. his you know, from the way his vision manifested. Mm -hmm. But everything that you have just been talking about around the dining table um, could be applied today. So let's go back upstairs and do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and, and recalling that original passion, you know, I think yeah. is, is what may be critical with all of this. And, you know, even if you are the one person business, you know, why did you start that business? If it really yeah. was, gee, I got fired and so I had to pay the bills. Okay. Maybe it's time to rethink what you're doing. Right. Um, because if you don't have that passion, it rub, you know, it, it shows, yeah. you know, we, we've all worked with people that you could tell want to be anywhere than where they are, oh, it's you true. know, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and so why would you want to continue working with them? And, and so, you know, I'm, that that's kind of the cool thing about this is you're, you're finding your way back to that passion or finding a new passion maybe is, is the other way to do right. it. Right. Right. Yes, I mean, uh, this is where something like this notion of reframing comes in, you know, mm -hmm. and, and by that, it's the difference between house and home. Right. I mean, you may not have a passion for a house and mm -hmm. all the kind of infrastructural stuff and buildings, but mm -hmm. you might very well find a passion for some aspect of the home. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, reframing actually is something that we always ask our clients to do. Mm -hmm. You know, how could you see this differently? Yeah. Think about it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, Chris, <laughs> what, this is so cool. I just absolutely love this. And of course, we're at the top of the hour. Oh. <laughs> so before we cut off, please tell folks how they can find you and connect with you online. Okay. Well, my website is www.applied-futures.com. Not an underscore. applied futures. Com. And my email is christine.mcnulty at applied-futures.com. Great. I, will be, know, and, and, I was going to say, I'll be pleased to hear from anybody. <laughs> great. And, and your book, Strategy with Passion, A Leader's Guide to Exploring the Future, is available on Amazon. It is. Great. Well, we will have to have you on again because we just have scratched the surface on this. And I think it is it is very fascinating to go through this, to really think about this. And, and it really doesn't matter if you're the one person shop no. or the mini, you know, it's, it is something that I think businesses, because we didn't even talk about the specifics on how to actually develop a plan. No, we didn't. Ah, <laughs> you know, we, we just got, you know, and so we, we will definitely have you on again. Oh, that would be great. I mean, you have asked some really good questions, Deb, and I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Thank you, and, and I look forward to continuing this discussion. You know, I've been talking with Chris McNulty. I'm Deb Creer, and until next week, everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening to Deb Creer, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>